Welcome to podcast number 15 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a monthly program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, building a business on the closest of ties. Two of the major challenges for small financial planning firms are finding the help they need and creating a secure succession plan. Sometimes these objectives dovetail nicely with the answer to one problem providing the solution to the other. But more often, it seems, staffing and succession are significant challenges for small financial planning firms. There's a big difference between constructing a financial plan and building a profitable business, which takes a wide-ranging set of skills not covered in the Certified Financial Planner curriculum. Is it any easier to meet those challenges when an owner brings their adult child into the business long-term, or does it make things even tougher? Today, for the first time on our podcast, we have two guests, Lois Basil, CFP, a past president of the ACP Board of Directors, is the founder of Basil Financial Group, an holistic, fee-only financial planning firm with offices in Chicago. In 2015, Lois brought her daughter into the firm. Hannah Basil Bryant earned her CFP designation in 2017 and takes an active role in both the administration of the business and providing professional advice to clients. Lois and Hannah, such a joy to have both of you with us today. Thanks, Ken. Let's get an understanding of your business philosophy. You know, both of you are, you're committed to providing holistic financial planning to your clients on a fee-only model. You're also committed to having a financially successful business. And I know you feel strongly about that being important to the client. Tell us about how having a strong business benefits your clients. Yeah, you know, my business philosophy, Ken, um, has been nurtured over a lifetime of observing and working in small businesses. My stepfather owned a small business, and our dinner conversations were often centered around the business. In high school and college, I worked in small businesses. And when I had my accounting firm, I also worked with small businesses. And so I was able to see firsthand what are some key ingredients that makes a business successful. And number one is you have to be profitable and you have to understand cash flow. And I also really understood that businesses need developed processes and they have to be able to adapt to changing times. I really believe that our clients are going to live a lot longer than I'm going to be able to provide them financial planning. We need to make sure that we're building a firm that lasts beyond me. And how we do that is by having a profitable foundation that's going to allow us to grow sustainably so that we can provide financial planning to our clients for the rest of their lives. And the other, if you're not profitable and if you're not charging enough, and if you decide to close your business or do something else and your clients then go to another firm trying to find the same type of high quality comprehensive, tax-focused financial planning and are have amazing sticker shock and then are not willing to pay 
I really believe then you've done a huge disservice to your clients because then they may choose not to continue working with a financial advisor at a time when they really need financial planning. Lois, I remember you're telling me once that it doesn't make sense to offer a premium service at a discounted fee and we're we're not doing our clients any favors for when they might need to get services elsewhere. So having that business be sustainable, having it stay there so they can know it will be there for the long term, we also believe is a, a great value to the client. You know, I also, I always want people to choose financial, to work with Basel Financial Group because they see the value. I don't ever want to be chosen just strictly on price because I'm the cheapest person in town. That's not our value proposition. I echo what Lois said. I think it's in some way a fiduciary duty to the clients to make sure we have enough resources within the business to continue learning, to do that continuing education, to maintain the exceptional level of service, you know, while there's the relationship. And then as Lois said, heaven forbid someone did have to change relationships with a planner or make a change in their relationship. If they can't find a comparable level of service for the similar price, I I do believe some clients would not hire a new planner or retain that. So it's in our client's best interest to make sure our pricing is within industry standards. Lois, you owned a successful accounting firm before beginning your CFP studies. What led you to change careers? A couple of things happened. Number one, part of my long-term goal was to be able to build something of value that could be sold. And the kind of accounting firm that I had was really dependent on me. It wasn't scalable. And I, I never could see how in the world I could sell it. But really the biggest driver was that my husband and I, we needed financial planning. How in the world did we think about how to pay for college for our daughters with retirement for my husband? We own some real estate. How does that fit in with me having this idea of wanting to start another business? And when I started looking for some financial advisors, realizing that we didn't meet the criteria for many of the firms in Chicago, meaning that we didn't um, have a minimum investment threshold, I thought, you know, we can't be the only people who are looking for this kind of comprehensive advice. So I'm going to build a business. I saw it as an amazing business opportunity. And so at 49, I went back to school to get my CFP, which truly was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I hadn't been in a classroom in 30 years. Really, I enjoyed their curriculum, but what I realized quickly is that having your CFP doesn't necessarily teach you how to do financial planning. And so I was so grateful to have found the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners that taught me how to provide comprehensive, tax-focused, fee-only financial planning. Yeah, I, I was a career changer as well. And, and I remember as we were introducing ourselves in the training class that I took, my comment was, so I've passed the CFP exam. I have a lot of book learning. Now I need to learn how to actually deliver a financial plan. 
Yeah, and one just note I'll add on that is um, a lot of the fee-only firms in Chicago, their uh, investable asset minimum was what Lois couldn't meet. Some of that portfolio was maybe tied up in a work plan or what would be traditionally considered a held-away asset. So thinking there's there's a lot of people in the city with that real estate equity and employer-sponsored plans where there still is a portfolio. It's just not in a liquid brokerage account or an IRA. That's easily to be transferred. And those people need advice just as much as the people with assets that can be moved from one custodian to the other. Absolutely. It's it's always struck me as a gap in the industry that so much of it is not well set up to advise people on their workplace retirement savings plans when you know i know you've seen and we've seen seven figure 401k balances and my gosh if if our clients don't want our guidance on that they're missing an important part of their financial plan yes and along those lines as well i was so fortunate after i passed the cfp that napfa was holding a conference in Chicago and they do a wonderful boot camp for new planners. And I remember walking through the exhibit hall and of course thinking I needed software and looking at all these software providers who said, use us, use us. And I kept saying, but how do you do planning with software? And they just said, well, you know, you put the numbers in. I'm like, well, how will I know what numbers to put in? And I I really got stuck with that and again was so grateful when I found ACP because it they showed me how to do the planning, which is much more than putting numbers into software. One of the things that I got out of the ACP education process when I joined was uh, understanding that with a relatively straightforward approach, I can answer lots of different kinds of questions. And as I've used different kinds of software over the years, the concepts that ACP's own software taught me are still what we apply, even if we're using things that other people create. It's the values and how we understand our clients' lives that a software package alone can't really provide. Hannah, you had your own career change experience. Tell us about what that was like for you. Yes. So I graduated in 2013 with a degree in economics and started my career in commercial lending at a regional bank here in Chicago. And it was a great first career for me in terms of learning how large corporations work. I learned a lot of good just credit skills, learning how to look at companies and again, cash flow. And it was interesting. I was in a cohort of 20 recent graduates, and we all had the same benefit package and salary. So looking at the being the daughter of a financial planner, I knew from the very first paycheck what to do in terms of my Roth 401k and disability insurance and emergency savings. And I just thought that was second nature to everyone, that financial literacy and the, the foundations of financial literacy. And quickly learned that that was not the case. And I started to think about how Lois worked with her clients and thought, maybe is there an opportunity to deliver some of this advice to a younger uh, younger client base, like truly just starting out, like young to mid-20s. 
So I thought, well, maybe an app, a financial tech company or a solution like that would be interesting. So I took a risk and I quit my job at the bank and enrolled in a coding boot camp here in Chicago, focusing on web development and modeled out what I thought would be that financial tech solution to kind of bring these financial concepts to to true younger investors and people just starting out. And before I made the plunge and really built that business and launched that, I interned at a startup here in Chicago just to make sure that was the type of business model I wanted. So I really pivoted from large corporate to uh, venture-backed startup. And after working at a startup here in Chicago, I learned a little bit more about the impact that the outside investors had on the business and those really aggressive growth targets and, and strategy that was different, was, was a challenge for me just to wrap my head around that coming from big corporate where things are really slow. Things, strategy changes really slowly. It has to go through all these layers, arguably too much, right? The bureaucracy, you can't just pivot and make a change. But I also felt the, the rapid change of strategy of startup was too much. You couldn't, you know, get on a rhythm. You were constantly just changing strategy after the weekly meetings with the investors. So it made me really start to realize what's that happy medium. And in my opinion, that is a, a privately held small business where we don't have outside investors demanding certain growth targets. We don't have outside capital looking for that return. We have patient in-house. It's, it's lowest as business. It's we can do it on our own terms. So thinking through that same way to continue serving younger clients in a better way was on the service side was appealing. But then on the business model, for me personally, I think it was a comfortable way to, I could be very entrepreneurial and have an impact, but I could do it slower and steadier and more sustainably and maintain more work-life balance, which was important. So what was it like when you were beginning to think about working with each other? It's a different kind of commitment to work with a close family member than it is to begin work at a company where they have only one role and that's your employer or to bring on somebody who has one role in your life and that's an employee. So what was that like for the two of you? Well, I think as a little background, I had attended a NAPFA conference and I went to a session with Caleb Brown of New Planner Recruiting and began to understand the demand for young advisors. And this is at the time Hannah was really trying to develop her web app. And I came away because I was such a young firm and I didn't really have profitability to share. And I invited Hannah to come to an ACP conference in Philadelphia, where we were really fortunate on the same day, we had Michael Kitsis and Jack Bogle speaking to us. And I said, you know, Hannah, I'd like you just to come listen to these two industry icons and see if you think this might be something you'd like to do. And I remember Hannah saying, I love this, but I'm not ready yet. But give me a couple of years. Well, I came back from NAFA and I actually called her on the phone. I said, Hannah, I don't have two years. I need you now. Will you please take a risk and come work with me? And we'll figure it out. So that was from my perspective. I knew I needed a true partner and someone as smart and with the skill set that Hannah brought. Yeah. And from my perspective, it was something that 
Ken, to your point, it wasn't just, oh, I'm taking a new job because at that point I had, you know, now moved from a few different organizations. I knew that this move would be a permanent, a very long-term decision. And Lois and I had good conversations early on about maintaining the family boundaries and setting things up to preserve, most importantly, the mother-daughter relationship first. And then, you know, of course, the business relationship and, and the clients. And I was excited for the prospect of finding, having then having that experience on both sides of the business world. I really did think that the small business model was going to give me my professional goals I was hoping to meet. And I'm happy to say five years in that, that that's been, that's been true and, and far, far exceeded my expectations. And from the beginning, Lois and I knew the importance of having a third party kind of as a good coach to make sure we're respecting both of those boundaries as, as mother, daughter, but then also at, as, as, being in business together. And at that time, that was very much in a, in a boss employee role, obviously me coming into the industry with, with not really any previous experience. So really in that learning mentorship, you know, absorbing as much as I can. And I have to thank Lois for giving me a lot of opportunities early on to x-ray into how she was currently doing the business and looking at the systems and you know, from pretty early on, be able to offer suggestions on how to improve processes and workflows. So I was given a tremendous opportunity early on to roll up my sleeves, if you will. And while I think a lot of people might look at the possibility of hiring a close family member and think, oh, this just has so much risk written all over it. From another point of view, Hannah, you went through a job interview that was more than 20 years long. <laughs> Absolutely. I was proving myself exactly from the very beginning. And and I think Lois and I then, you know, there's that level of comfort and communication that we can, you know, read each other better. We can know what the other one is thinking. There's a level of comfort that you don't and, and candidness that we can, you know, have with each other that I wouldn't normally um, have with someone I'm just beginning a professional relationship with. Now, what about the flip side? Are there times when you would be saying, this would be so much easier if she were anyone other than my own mother or anyone other than my daughter? Of course. <laughs> we're human. <laughs> Maybe it's unfair for me to ask for specific examples. <laughs> it does bring to mind the uh, article that featured the two of you in Financial Planning Magazine in 2016 and how the advice that you got from your business coach translated into the headline of that article, which I love, which is don't call me mom when advisors join a parent's firm. The picture that accompanies that article, I love it because it shows the two of you and you're laughing together, which is to me so authentic to who the two of you are. Would you say that there's greater joy in working with someone that you have known for so long and who's so important in your life otherwise? Or are there times when the walking on eggshells might make you wonder whether you made the right decision? I've never thought I've, we, I've made the wrong decision by bringing Hannah in. It's not easy. And we work really, really hard at communication. We still have twice monthly calls with our business coach. And in this past year, we actually started working with a therapist who has understands a family business dynamic uh, because there is a lot of emotional component to this and it's hard. 
I will say it's really hard to work with a family member, but also to build the kind of firm that Hannah and I are committed to building. But I also believe that things that that are really worth it take a lot of hard work. And because we are often so brutally honest with each other, that can be difficult. But I think that's actually one of the keys to our success. I think recognizing the need for additional expertise, I think Lois and I, we say that to clients all the time, right? Hire us because, you know, you know what you're doing and let us help with this. And there's sometimes um, a little, there could be potentially a limitation on a specific just business coach thinking about the strategy and the business side. You know, with Lois and I's the the mother daughter relationship, there is a whole other level of emotional components and communication different than the way father son business literature is written, because of just the innate differences the way men can communicate or work through problems and conflict resolution. Women process things differently, so we're really fortunate to be working with a leading family therapist out of the Northwestern Family Institute who, yeah, as Lois mentioned, has that experience as well with the family business and the family counseling. And I think between, yeah, her and our, our coach, it's like our, our tribe, it's our wisdom, our advisors. So it's it's a team effort on all sides. And of, of all the uh, concerns that I would have for other firms, are you willing to put in the work that it takes to do this possibly risky thing right? I am not concerned that either of the two of you would shy away from the hard work that would that's necessary to be able to work successfully together. Hard work has uh, never struck me as a deterrent for either of you. Thank you. Yeah, we take our planning seriously and the, the work on the business seriously because we we calendar a lot, not only our time monthly with our coaches, but we do an offsite staff retreat every year that allows us to get outside the business and work on these big strategic goals. And I think that's been another key to our success is that we have been willing to take two and three days and do nothing but working on the strategy and plan for the business. So what are some of the tougher decisions you've had to make as you've been turning Basel Financial Group into your vision of what you want it to be? I think it's, first we had to narrow who our ideal clients were, and then we have gone through, I believe, three fee increases and me getting over some imposter syndrome of being confident in this is our fee this is how much it will cost to work with us. And most recently doing dramatically raising our minimum fee and changing our focus to capping the number of clients we've, we're going to serve at 100 and we're to maintain this very small but highly personal relationship planning centered firm. I think one of the hardest decisions we had to really crystallize was, are we comfortable changing our strategy? And that happened. We, we made a pretty big change at the end of last year. When I joined the firm, we were on a big growth imperative. And partly that was related to the way to profitability at that point was top line growth. And our, our fees, we 
they just weren't at industry standards when I first started. So getting those aligned has given us some breathing room where we don't have to be on this huge client acquisition tear to meet those business goals and really having to think through, okay, let's take a breath. The numbers are where they need to be. Do we really, because what continuing to grow meant would be to continue hiring, training, staffing, and understanding Lois and I could not and would not have be able to be in all the client meetings. We wouldn't be able to know all of our clients and really reflecting back to what, what's our big joy, what brings us joy. And we, can we actually use one of the terms you said to us once we want to be absolutely delighted when clients walk through our door and, you know, being really cognizant of that. So I think that wasn't an easy decision to say, you know what, we could build this multi-advisor, get up to a billion in AUM and grow, 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 make this big team, 10 to 15 to 20 employees. I think it's, and Lois and I had to be really talk through this with ourselves and our coaches, our advisors saying, it's not that we can't, we're just kind of going to choose to do this, slow it down, do a little more sustainable in these next, you know, five to 10 years. And that was, that was a big decision. I don't want to say it was, it wasn't hard, not a, because it was a hard decision doesn't mean it's a bad decision. It was, it wasn't bad to do. It was just, that was a big change in strategy that Lois and I were thrilled to be on it, but it did require a lot of just rethinking and, and reshifting our mindset on, on the business and the outlook. It occurs to me that we've had a a trend in some of our recent guests on the podcast of people who have developed their their businesses with a great deal of intentionality, with very little happening by accident uh, that goes far beyond, that's a very different approach from when so many people start business and someone asks, who do you want as a client? And they answer, the person who can write me a check. And uh, it doesn't take too long before that takes a lot more energy that could be better used elsewhere in, in the process of, of building your business. And I think about what you say, too, about being delighted with the clients who walk through the door. Uh, it's one of my great joys. And I, I talk about it every time we have a client appreciation event that we're literally you know, delighted to see every one of our clients come through the door because it's been a very long time since we've accepted a client who would make us unhappy. And I think back, you know, further to what you said earlier, Lois, along those same lines about fees, I think back to clients I had many years ago that I used to resent it whenever they came in the office. And I asked myself why and realized that I didn't feel like I was being paid enough. Well, whose responsibility was that? They didn't set my fees. I set my fees. And they, both of those clients, after I realigned my fees for my business, those two clients experienced pretty large fee increases. And one expressed a good deal of concern and then was literally a client for life. We served that household through the entire remaining lifetime of both of those uh, spouses. And uh, the other clients, we actually doubled our fee on that client. And I explained why and why it was still a reasonable fee. And their only question was, where do we sign? And more than 10 years later, they are still clients and people I am delighted to see come through the door. Absolutely. And it's wonderful, Ken, that you've, that you made that, that very hard decision to adjust clients fees. I know how hard it is. 
and I applaud you um, for doing it and for building the firm that you've built. Well, I'll tell you something that has been a consistent message from our ACP colleagues over many years now, and I've been a member of ACP now for, uh, for 20 years, but when people talk about raising fees, one thing I have heard consistently every single time is you will lose fewer clients than you think, and you'll be able to add more value for the clients who you retain. You won't lose net revenue but you'll be much happier with the result. And sort of a corollary to that is uh, if you have a client that you'd really like to fire from your practice, don't try to do it by just raising their fee by what you think is an enormous amount, because there's a very good chance they'll pay it. And now you're stuck with that client. When what you really wanted to do was say, I'm shifting my focus in my practice and we won't be continuing our planning relationship. That's not an easy conversation, but it's probably better for the client that they find someone who's delighted to have them come through their door. Absolutely, Ken. In fact, we've, we've done that recently where we've actually said to uh, two clients in particular, we're going to pause our planning relationship until you're able to get some of your long overdue items done. We just don't feel that as true fiduciaries, we can continue to charge you if you're not able to complete these much needed tasks. And it's, you know, I don't ever like to say goodbye to revenue, but I also felt it was very important that they understand the value of doing their part in a financial planning relationship. Right. Yeah. One of our colleagues uh, told me years ago that successful financial planning is a partnership between the planner and the client. They both have to be involved. So both of you have been members of ACP for years now. And I think it's fair to say that uh, it was not long after joining that both of you made a real commitment to volunteer to uh, support ACP. I mean, Lois, you made the commitment to be on ACP's board. You served as president. You were on the board for a long time. Hannah, you were teaching sessions at the ACP conference pretty soon after joining. What is it about ACP that, that adds value for you as professionals and that keeps you as members, you know, years down the road? Well, I the planning philosophy and the framework is amazing. It works. We we often will reflect after a meet a longtime client we've met with and we say, you know what? This system, it works. Especially during in 2020 with the market volatility we've had, functional asset allocation and how we build our client portfolios based on this tax-focused financial life cycle planning that we do, you know what? It works. So I keep coming back for that. I also am so appreciative of the deep tax knowledge that our our members have. And I always learn something in this ever-changing world of, of taxes. And of course, the community. Um, I know that I can reach out to anyone and they'll answer my questions, however silly I might think it might be. <laughs> yeah, we've all we've all been down that road of having a question that we're wondering, am I the only one who doesn't know the answer to this question? And uh, that I found the answer is usually, no, there are other people who are wondering too, just like our science teachers claimed when we were in junior high school. 
And from my perspective, while I haven't, you know, I'm not the founder, I didn't go through that initial training process through ACP. I do see, you know, through my experience at the conference, a lot of the growth and new members are people that are similar to me, that second generation advisor coming in. And there actually are a number of parent-child relationships, either within firms or across different ACP firms. So that unique perspective has has, has engaged me and, and gotten me excited to, you know, see second generation advisors is applying that philosophy and kind of incorporating that into systems and workflows and continuing to think about scaling and, and kind of, you know, putting onto paper what our founders have contributed to clients in that service. So there's a number of people in a similar professional position as me in ACP, and it's been really fun. I have a study group of six ACP advisors that majority are kind of that second generation person. And that's been really fun just to, you know, connect professionally. And because we are small offices, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of makes me feel like a part of a bigger organization at times as well. So that's one of my key drivers. And I think, you know, Lois and I, we've spent a lot of time doing that research of what are industry level fees, what is fair and making sure just kind of reminding to, you know, helping encourage saying, look, we're, we're, we really are doing more than just an asset allocation or basic investment management, that true comprehensive planning, incorporating the taxes, thinking through everything. It is a premium service. It's custom planning and we should be paid for. And I think that's one of the things I've, I've enjoyed doing a lot of research on, on doing, looking at fee studies, benchmarking studies, making sure that we're all earning what, what we're worth. And providing something to the client that we wouldn't necessarily be able to provide if we weren't doing holistic planning. I I think of a couple of recent retirees that I reached out to in March 2020 when things had changed so suddenly. And the conversations, I think, can be summed up by saying that they weren't really sure what they were anxious about. And they didn't have any specific questions, but they wanted to know just that thing that they were going to be able to make it through the rough patch and that things were going to be okay. One actually said to me, no, I don't really have any questions, but I'm so glad you called. It's really good just to hear your voice. And when we can have that kind of supportive and positive impact in in our clients' lives, that's a really good day. And being a, a part of an organization that values that is part of why I keep coming back to ACP. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much. I really am so glad to be able to talk with both of you. And we appreciate your joining us together on the podcast this afternoon. It's been our pleasure, Ken. Thank you for all you've done to help build this organization into what it is today. We, we enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much, Ken. And we've enjoyed the conversation. You've been listening to Lois Basil, CFP, founder of Basil Financial Group and Hannah Basil Bryant, CFP. Basil Financial Group provides holistic, fee-only financial planning with offices in Chicago. There's a link to Lois's and Hannah's website in our show notes. This is podcast number 15 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. In 2020, 
ACP's celebrating 25 years of training advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower-cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.